We have been talking about our faith, living our faith, standing firm in our faith, and even in the face of adversity, how we might stand and stand firm in Jesus Christ, our living hope. If he's truly a living hope to us, that should mean something, that we stand and we stay firm with him despite what comes our way. Last week, we were encouraged as people of faith to be builders of God's kingdom, not building our own, not building our own kingdom. And I understand there's a balance between the natural and the spiritual. We do live in the world. We do need to take care of certain natural things, we, right? Our, our needs need to be met. We have to put food on the table, etc. But there is an eternal perspective we should live with. And, and building the, our own kingdom here on earth, last week we were reminded it's vanity, it's building in vain, and that we should shift our focus more towards being Christ-focused, not so much self-focused, and not building our own spot here, because it's temporary. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. And today, I want to continue on these themes and, and add to them, talk about staying the course of our faith, being firm in our faith, being builders, not building in vain, and, and I would say that the message, the sermon, whatever you call it, today it, it might be a little bit more for those who aren't here than for all of you who are here because you're faithful. You're, you're people who get it. Your hearts have, for the most part, and I can't speak for every single person in the house, but you're here because you believe what the gospel has taught and it means something to you. And if you're here on a regular basis, that does show you're committed to your Christian faith. You're committed to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And you see value. You see worth in being part of his church. And we saw a little bit of that if you were paying attention to the opening video this morning. But what it means to be connected to a, a local church, a place where you can uh, be built up and taught and you can find other people who would care for you. Even though you might only be here a couple of hours uh, each week, it's a part. It's a part of your faith life and a part of how you stand firm in your faith and you see it as important and needful. And it's Biblical. It's biblical to be a part of a church and meeting together and doing what the Bible encourages us, spurring one another on in love and in good deeds, bearing one another up in prayer, receiving the blessings of coming together for communion, sitting down at the, the, the table of the Lord, and then we serve one another, we minister to one another, and we serve others outside these walls too. You see the importance of it. And you desire to come together as we've done this morning to worship corporately, to, to join our hearts and to join our voices together and to praise God. And then to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You get it. But many, many, many more who, who are out Today is just another day. They don't see life as part of a church being anything important. 
being part of the body of Christ. It's just not all that important. It, it just isn't. It isn't until it is. It's not important until really it's urgent. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by it? It becomes urgent. We heard a song just a moment ago and we sang it out of desperation. That's an urgency. Out of desperation, I call on God. So many of us understand that. We understand where we were in a desperate moment. And that's when many, many seek God. They look for answers. They want truth. They cry out to God in these desperate times of life. When life gets beyond their control, when life's out of control, it's urgent. It's an urgent time to, well, I, I'll call on God. And when life is uh, out of control, it's upended, what was normal just a minute ago, a day ago, now it's totally different. Normal's gone. That's when many cry out. They look for God. And I'll say many receive answers. They might receive a little of that living water. And they find that their distress is alleviated because they have cried out to God. But do they stay? Do they stay with him? The unfortunate reality is that when stability and control return, few stay with God. Back to normal. I'm just going to go back. I'll go back to that water of the world. Back to being self-focused. I'll go back to building my own kingdom. And that's a kingdom in vain. And today, today is a reminder of a desperate time in, in our entire nation. And uh, Pastor Noah mentioned that when he opened. Today marks an inauspicious anniversary, the 21st anniversary of a terror attack on our country on September 11th, 2001. And if you're in your 30s, you, you probably can remember well the events of that day. And if you're older, you it's probably marked indelibly in your mind. And I remember that day. I remember walking into work that day and looking up at the sky. It was a beautiful, beautiful, blue, cloudless sky, September, after, uh, September morning, just a stunning day. And I, I was thinking, this is just a beautiful day. Walking in almost dangerously because I was looking up, I could have banged into something. It was that stunningly beautiful. But it wasn't long because it was about nine o'clock in the morning. One of my coworkers said, hey, I just heard a, a plane crashed into a, one of the World Trade Center buildings. And we thought, wow, that's, that's terrible. But then it wasn't long that we heard about a second plane. And we knew this, this is not good. And I went home. I went home and then heard of the third plane crashing into the, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., a fourth plane in Pennsylvania. It was, it, it was just, what, what, did, what did we have that ever prepared us for this? It was completely unusual. And I remember a, a lady from church stopped at our house, and she had a daughter in the same class here at school with one of our daughters, and we sat together, and uh, my wife and I, and uh, our neighbor, and 
Uh, we watched some of the news and I think we took some time to pray and what else could we do? And the whole country was just stunned. Most everyone was dealing with a, a profound sense of disorientation. What is gonna be next? What's coming? Everything that was normal had totally been changed. And then came Sunday, September 16th, 2001. In my memory, it's the fullest I've ever seen this sanctuary on a Sunday morning. It was, it was packed. And it wasn't just here. It wasn't, it wasn't a local phenomenon that just this, this building filled. It was all across the entire U.S. Churches experienced this marked increase in attendance, 25, 30%, even more. Saddleback Church in California, 45%. People wanted answers. Where's God in all of this? Where is he, God? Where are you? Or they're crying out to him, Lord, help us. And for a moment, for a moment, there was a sense that this terrible, terrible, tragic event was going to turn people to God like never before. Then comes Sunday, September the 23rd. Well, and then the 30th. And then we roll into October. Place wasn't so full. It became evident. While some thought that this tragedy would be a catalyst for some great spiritual awakening like none other, didn't materialize, didn't happen. Church attendance that spiked so, so quickly. A year later, it, it, it was not just back to normal, some churches had even lost people. This spike just dwindled quickly and back to normal. On the one-year anniversary, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal, and it had this headline, churches try to recapture 9-11 crowds. We're still dealing with all of the, the things that were happening in the country after that terrible day. It's only been a year. And there's the headline, church is trying to recapture the crowds. Here's the line from the article. It said, despite a brief surge, churches, synagogues, and other spiritual centers were packed with people immediately after last September 11th. Attendance subsided within weeks. Churches from coast to coast report that their pews are back to normal occupancy. In another article, there was a, a professor of religious studies from Duke University. Uh, he was a pro professor of religious studies and divinity. He led research on uh, religious practice across the nation. He said this about this big spike in church attendance. It was very short-lived. There was a blip in church attendance. Then it went back to normal. In times of distress... It's not unusual for people to say, God, where are you? God, help me. God, I need you. I need you. But when that distress is alleviated, ah, they just want to go back to normal. It's, it's our human nature. Who needs God now that the crisis is over? 
I've got some control back. What do I need God for? After 9-11, the country responded. The country unified. So many people went to New York to help to rebuild, clean up, do whatever they needed to do, help people. People unified across the nation. And then to prevent further terror attacks, the military began an operation nearly immediately. They're off to Afghanistan to fight terror. The 9-11 Commission was formed. The Department of Homeland Security. Wow, we're secure again. Who needs God, right? Who needs God? Crisis averted, let me go back to normal. And sadly, that is just nothing new. Throughout the Old Testament, that cycle is presented time and time again. You can look for examples and you'll find them quickly. People cry out, they call on God, relief comes, don't need you anymore, they turn their back. And that's from the earliest times in the Bible. One great example, I'll give you one. There are so many more. Second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We read about the Hebrew people. They're enslaved in Egypt. And then God commissions Moses to be his instrument and his leader to save the people. Exodus chapter three, God said to Moses, I have heard them crying out. They were desperate. They were slaves. Work was so hard. They're crying out to God in their crisis. Then what happened? God saved them. Miraculously, hugely, the Red Sea parts, they walk across on dry ground. God's feeding them miraculously. This is amazing. But the crisis is over. Now what do the people want? Let's read Numbers 14.4. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow, God saved them from all kinds of bad things. He delivered them, he was feeding them, he's taking care of them. But there was a craving for that water of the world. There was a draw to just go back to what was normal life. There's somehow there's comfort in that. There is comfort in this old, normal life, despite that it was bondage. It was slavery. It was chains. We sing about broken chains. This is a people that wanted to go back to the chains, back to the bondage, back to slavery. Somehow there's comfort in it. God's taking care of us. He's showing us miracles. Forget about it. I'm not in distress anymore. Let me go back. And, and back to slavery. And before coming to Christ, before coming to Christ, that's what life is. It's bondage. It's slavery. It's sin. Sin is a bondage. Sin is slavery. And tragedies of enormous proportion might compel people to cry out to the Lord but the idea that this is going to be this, this big groundswell, God saves people a heart at a time. Turning to the Lord, it's got to be a sincere heart. It's got to be individual. One heart, one individual at a time. And you, you might know somebody who, they sought out God because of 9-11. Or maybe they sought out God because of some other major issue that's not 21 years ago, it's not 21 months ago, it might have been 21 minutes ago. 
Maybe, you know, through the past couple of years of unrest, you know, major hurricanes, school shootings, major things, but perhaps a personal issue, perhaps a private trouble, a private distress they only shared with you. Did that person receive something from God, then go back to life as it was? I'm guessing we all know someone that that's happened to. Perhaps it's even happened to us. The desire to go back to normal or what we call normal, it's powerful. It can keep a person from really rooting down, rooting in with Jesus Christ, even after they've discovered that in all the chaos of the world, God's got a plan for their life. He sent Jesus to win eternal life. There is something that is just phenomenally better than the life we have here. And, and Jesus has offered it. He's given it and he's with us. And he's, he said, I'll be with you through it, through the thick and the thin. I'll stand with you through the good and the bad. And then yet some fade out. And Jesus said this. Jesus said, some hear the good news. They receive it with joy. But like a seed that's cast on rocky ground, it takes root, a root pops out, but it can't get down, it can't get into the earth. These rocks are in the way. It sprouts up and the next day the sun comes out and withers away the plant. And Jesus said, this is, this is what occurs with some who've received the gospel with great joy. They've got answers. They have found out and discovered God's got this great plan. My world was so disordered. And I, I see this answer, but something comes along to wither it out. Turn them back. The draw to go back to life, to normal, what they thought is normal. And it can be disheartening. And, and even more so, it's dis, disheartening with one who perhaps that root did begin to take Maybe they've they followed Christ for a year, a couple years, a while, but then fell away. That can, that can really rock our world. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul likens this to a shipwreck. He calls it a shipwreck of faith. You, know, you imagine you're on a ship for a while, then bam, it hits a reef, goes down. Peter, the Lord's, one of the Lord's closest friends, he put it a little more Bluntly, Peter said, if they've escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're again entangled and they're overcome, they are worse off than they were at the beginning. This is in Peter's second letter. And let me read to you the next verse. It's verse 22 in uh, chapter two of Peter's second letter. He says, they're worse off than they were at the beginning of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Now, that's a, that is an image that is it's blunt, isn't it? I mean, you think about that, that old normal life. What a beautiful image. For, for the Hebrews who had been Saved out of Egypt, it was slavery and bondage. Peter just says, it's like a dog going back to vomit. 
ugh, or, or, or a sow wallowing in filth. So disheartening when someone who has, who, who has known and they've come out of the corruption of the world, they've come to Jesus, and then that happens. Again, examples abound in Scripture. King David is an example. It, he, he is perhaps one of the most well-known. King David, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, he wrote beautiful psalms. He wrote things like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The Lord lifted me out of the miry, slimy pit. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on a rock. You, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. These are just a few lines that David wrote about what it means to be connected to God. What it means to have a, a true relationship. You lifted me out of the slimy pit. You comfort me. You put me on the rock. Beautiful. But somehow David had a longing, a thirst for the, the water of the world. Instead of taking refuge and comfort in the Lord, one day he sought refuge and comfort in the arms of a woman who was not his wife. And he committed adultery with her. And then he had her husband killed. Back to the slimy pit of normal. In King David's time, where, where he repented and he learned this was a terrible sin. It was, he was trying to hide it. And it was brought to his attention through one of the prophets. And he, he repented. And in his words of repentance, I think we can, find some, we can find some help and we can find some hope if this has been us. If it's been any of our lives where we've disconnected or we've gone back to that water of the world. Or it can be helpful for any who were here once. I mean, imagine this. This was nearly full. Where have they all gone? People who heard the word. Some of the words of David might be helpful. Psalm 51, his psalm of repentance, verses 10 to 12. He wrote, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. For those who once sought after God and found some answers, answers for the chaos and the upending of life, they received the good news, even with joy, but it was short-lived, it was just a blip and then back to normal you know what? Another day is going to come for them, a day of, of disorientation. May God grant them a willing spirit. May God grant that and renew a steadfast spirit. And do it today. Not, not when the next crisis comes. We needn't prepare for the crisis when it's upon us. No, today's the day. And for any of us who have felt that pull, and it's strong, you know it. 
I speak for no one. You know in your own heart if that pull, that draw back to what you had before you come to Christ and you felt that pull. These are great, great words for you. We've, we've, we've had a day where we ask, God, where is your salvation? I'm, I'm sure we've had those days where we've struggled. We felt like, God, I'm in misery here. I'm in misery. Where are you? What's happened? God, why haven't you brought me comfort? Well, sometimes that, that can lead to this. I'll find it elsewhere. I, I, God, you're just not comforting me. You're not helping me. Now, now's the time to pray for a sustained, to, to be sustained by a willing spirit. It's time to say, Lord, please give me that steadfastness, a steadfast spirit. What is that? That's unwavering. That's faithful. That's, res- that's firm resolution. That's being rooted and devoted deeply. It's not saying, God, even though I'm in pain and I feel the pain and it's not being alleviated, I will leave you and find another form of comfort. That's not being steadfast. And the the time to seek the Lord is now. It's not the next 9-11. It's not the next national disaster. It's not the next personal disaster. The time is now. The time is today. And I I read a great sermon from Charles Spurgeon, and and this was his point. Because he was preaching after a tragedy. There there was in uh, 1860 in the town of Risca in South Wales, Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher in Great Britain. And he would go to these, this area of South Wales for respite and for relaxation and meditation. And he knew it well. This, this town called Risca on December 1st, 1860, it experienced a tragedy. There was a coal mine in the town and there was an explosion in the mine and 142 lives were lost. And the very next week, on December the 8th, Spurgeon is, is preaching to the people of this area. And he said, the miners, they didn't expect to go down the shaft that morning and lose their lives. Just like people were going to work on September 11th. They didn't go up the elevators planning to die. So Spurgeon's point, life needs to be lived with this steadfast spirit firmly bonded to Jesus Christ because you don't know the day. None of us know the day that we might die. It could be today. Then Spurgeon shared a story. He had taught a boy in Sunday school and the young man was 17. He went out and he, uh, he got himself drunk. He had turned wayward. And one night he drank so much, he poisoned himself. Spurgeon visited him on his deathbed. And he said, I tried to point him to the Savior. And I heard at last the death rattle in his throat. 
As I went down the stairs, I thought everybody a fool for doing anything except preparing to die. And yet in an hour, all things took their usual shape. And I began to think, I was not dying at all. And I could go away and I fear be as heartless as before. The impression of the dying bed was so soon obliterated. Back to normal. Spurgeon admitted the temptation in his own life. After an hour, he's visiting a young man who's dying. Dying right in front of his eyes. He leaves the room thinking, we all need to be prepared. We've got to prepare to die. We need to be connected to Christ. We have to have that steadfast, willing spirit. And in an hour, everything's back. It's gone, he says. So he urged his hearers, unite with Christ. Unite with Christ today. Remain joined with Christ. Do not wait for the day of disaster. We do not need another 9-11. We don't need a war. We don't need unrest in the streets. We don't need sickness. We do not need a crisis in our marriage or in our family to compel us to go to God and to cry out to him. We need to go now right now and say, Lord, I know I'm in the pit of the world. I'm in the slimy pit. If we've never joined ourselves to him, we're in the chaos of the world. We have the water of the world that doesn't last. It's not satisfying. Let's join with Christ, the everlasting water, never to thirst again. He'll pick us up and he'll, he'll pull us out of the miry clay, change our life, and then don't go back. Do not go back to normal, the normal of the slavery and the bondage. I know there are certain contexts of normal that are fine. Please don't get me wrong. I know we just went through the pandemic. We did not want the new normal of masks and, and social distancing. We all wanted to get back to normal without masks and without social distancing. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But in coming to Christ, in coming to Christ, we're made new. We're made new, and that should mean something. That should mean something, that we would never go back to that old normal. Paul wrote to the church in the city of Corinth, and I want to share with you what he wrote about that. He wrote, Christ's love compels us. And this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's verses 14 through 16 or 17. And then I'm going to read verse 1 from chapter 6. Paul wrote, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. Get that. Let that thing sink in. Jesus died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. There's that, there's that kingdom building again. They should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now Christ made it clear he had the power over death, hell and the grave. He rose from the dead. Paul then wrote, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we don't do that no longer. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, exclamation point. A couple of lines later, chapter 6, verse 1, Paul wrote, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Receive him, become new, and don't go back. Paul's words here, he's saying, we've been made new in Christ. Paul had been made new. So he wrote, I don't regard people like I regard them in the past. In past life, he had considered those outside Judaism as unworthy of God. They were not worthy of what God had. He considered anyone following Jesus Christ to be worthy of death. But he had stepped out of that old normal life because he had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he said, Christ died for all. He died for me, Paul is saying. And he rose from the dead and he proved it. And Paul's now no longer seeing with a worldly point of view. He's no longer looking at people. He saw Jesus not as someone to go after and put down or any of his followers. No, he saw Jesus as the giver of life, the giver of eternal life. And now he sees people as souls, souls that need the same cleansing, renewal that he had received, souls in need of being new creations, needing new and eternal life. He saw souls that, had, that, that could be lifted from the slimy pit. And that's why he exclaimed. That's why he, he wrote this exclamation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So don't go back to the old. Do not go back to that old slimy pit. It's vomit and it's mud. That's disgusting. And do not disparage the cross of Christ and receive God's grace in vain. That's chapter six, verse one. Don't receive God's grace in vain. If you've tasted of that living water, oh, stay with it. What's the water of the world got for you? You've come to new life. What's the old life got? Except for hell, death, and the grave. You've got new life, new life. So have that willing spirit. I don't know if you need a prayer today to have that willing spirit or to have that steadfast spirit. Maybe you know somebody who does. Maybe you know someone that you need to encourage. You need to call them up. Like, hey, I saw you here 21 years ago. Where you been? Or I saw you here a year ago. Or you talked to me when you were sick and we prayed together. What happened? Where are you? Do you have a willing spirit? Encourage them. Do you have a willing spirit? If you're, if you're willing, you know, God will meet you. And then encourage, stick with them. Stay with them. Don't turn. Don't receive his grace in vain. Stay connected to the living hope. I trust you've made him your living hope today. And death has lost its grip on you. And that you're prepared and you're ready Today, tomorrow, every day, God grants you. And you're not waiting. You're not waiting for some event, some issue, something to compel you to call on God, but did you call on Christ today and every day? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your time with us this morning, the presence of your Holy Spirit. 
Lord. In the name of Jesus, I just pray over everyone here, God, if there's anyone who has felt that pull to be drawn back into an old way, that water of the world, Lord, if there's a thirst for it, I pray, God, that our hearts would be willing today, that we would have a willing heart to say, help me to stop it. Help me to stop any draw, any temptation, any of it, God, that I would stay and remain steadfast by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has broken every chain. God, I pray that I would not want or desire to go back to that slavery, the bondage. Lord, may the image of that slimy pit and a dog returning to its vomit be one that is impressed on us, that we would not want to go back to that. God, help us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your discipline to us, God. Harsh words sometimes, but for us to stay with our Savior and our Lord. Bless us with it, God. Bless us with that steadfast, willing connection. Create in us a pure heart, O oh God, and renew that steadfast spirit in every single one of us that we would not waver, that we would stand strong, that we would follow you regardless of what today holds, tomorrow, the next day, whatever, that we would stay firm with Jesus our Lord and our Savior. Bless this congregation with that, God. And I pray, Lord, that if there's someone in our hearts or in our minds that they were here once before, God, give us, give us some inspiration, some help to reconnect and to offer them the opportunity to have that willing spirit and to receive that water that never, ever, ever runs dry. Thank you for it, God. I pray you bless your people. May we hear testimonies of one heart at a time. Thank you for it, God. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. And these altars are always open after service. If you, if you need prayer for healing, you want to be anointed by elders, you don't need to run out. You can get prayer today. God bless.